What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm. I am joined today by Nicole Yang and Chris Grenham. And guys, we are going to break down the Eastern Conference outlook as we see it. So we're going to break all of the teams down into tiers. We have five different tiers. We have true contender. Then we have one tier for faux contenders, like teams that could make it out of the Eastern Conference. But I think we'd all be like a little surprised, like, oh, wow, they did it. And then we have playoff teams, bubble teams, and bad teams. Without further ado, let's uh, let's start with the true contenders. Take it away. Where, who do you have in that top tier? I suspect that this is going to be the, the area of the most agreement for all of us. I have Brooklyn and Milwaukee in that order. I have the Wizards and the Nets. I'm done. I'm turning the <laughs> no, track. This is very clearly the most like straightforward tier, right? Yeah, I mean, Bucks, I Nets. I guess technically there could be a fun debate in who you would rank first. So let's have that debate. How did you guys order them? I had Brooklyn and then Milwaukee. I do as well. So I did too, but I, I could see the argument for Milwaukee. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact, we talked about it after the finals happened. The NBA messed around and let Giannis Antetokounmpo win a championship. And now Giannis Antetokounmpo knows what it takes to win a championship. If you're another contender, if you're another team hoping to win a championship next year, if you're Brooklyn, where again, you've got a bunch of pieces that still need to mesh together. I mean, I wouldn't be super happy about the fact that like one of the most dominant players of the last 20 years now knows how to win a title. I think there's definitely something to that, like releasing that tension that has surrounded the Bucks and Giannis the past couple of seasons and all the disappointment and things like that. Like, I think there's a lot of pressure that has been alleviated. That being said, like Kevin Durant almost single-handedly won that series. And if even just one of Kyrie Irving and James Harden is healthy, they probably go on to win the title. So I I still think Kevin Durant is the best basketball player in the world right now. And I think that he deserves sort of that recognition to be number one. And I also think like, if we're ranking regular season finishes, the Bucks went all the way to the finals and then two of their stars went to the Olympics. So I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe load manage or if they take like a slower approach. I still feel confident in putting Brooklyn first and Milwaukee second. Yeah, I think from a talent standpoint, there's no question between the two teams who is the better team. I think the the Bucks have spent so much time building the perfect team around Giannis, and then they kind of slipped and fell into having a second star with Chris Middleton, a second star who fits perfectly around Giannis. Like, they just have a very well-put-together group. I think that, like, often in the NBA, talent overcomes a super well-put-together group. But I think if you were making the case for Milwaukee, they just make more functional sense, I think, than that group of, of really, really talented players in Brooklyn. So all that said, Brooklyn is still my number one. I think the case for Milwaukee is just, you know, like we said, Giannis the superstar, and then also the fit maybe being a little bit better with the Bucs than the Nets. I mean, they're both really, really good teams. As we saw last year, Brooklyn, I like what they did going out and getting Patty Mills, going out and getting Paul Millsap. Like, I think they did have a good offseason. They got a little bit deeper. I'm curious to see in a Nets-Bucks matchup what they do with Durant because P.J. Tucker is now down in Miami. So do they put Giannis on Durant? It'll be interesting to see how they use Shemi. Shemi Ojale is there, and he's going to kind of fill that P.J. Tucker void defensively a little bit. So that'll be interesting. But I just like Brooklyn's talent quite a bit. And I think if they can stay healthy more so than they did last year, then Milwaukee, who went out and won a title, is going to have to be even better, which is crazy to say, but that's just the truth because that's how good the Nets are on paper. So yeah, I'll go Nets-Bucks, but I think it's very close and they're two legitimate, legitimate contenders. 
All right, let's get into the next tier. Faux contenders, and I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if we have some agreement here. For me, the, the two faux contenders that I have in there, and I debated only having one, but I have the Sixers and I have the Heat, and I really debated the Sixers. There's a real chance that this season combusts hard. The thing is that Joel Embiid is so good that he elevates them, you know, above certain categories on his own. And I do think that there is a chance that the Sixers go out and get somebody who compliments them a lot better. Even if I, I still like Ben Simmons, I still think he's a good player. Clearly does not fit with this team at all. If they got CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons, I'm not the biggest CJ McCollum guy in the world, but I do think there are players that you could put next to Joel Embiid that would really emphasize him who probably aren't as good in theory as Ben Simmons, but who are just a much better player for the Sixers. And I could see that happening. So that's why I have the Sixers there. And then I have the Heat. I'm not entirely sold on the Heat. Like Kyle Lowry is getting older and I know he's shown no real signs of slowing down, but I don't know. They have a good amount of talent and they have shooting, they have defense. I think if Bam elevates to another level, I think he puts them pretty comfortably maybe in the uh, the faux contender status. I'm not sure if he's going to or not. However, all of that aside, I think the pure talent on the Heat, the fact they have shooting, the fact they have defense, they have everything that you you know need. They have really, you know, obviously elite coaching. I'll put them in there. Honestly, you could make a case for no faux contenders in the Eastern Conference, and I'd be willing to yeah. listen to it. That was what I did, and I had nobody in this tier. Oh, I like that. I, just, I think that, that makes sense. I don't see it. Like, I just don't think that there's really another threat. Philly and Miami are the first two teams in my next year. But I just think until we see what the Ben Simmons trade package looks like, it's really hard to have any confidence with the Sixers moving forward because CJ McCollum as the return or as the like centerpiece of the return is like the fullest of glasses in terms of like what the Sixers could get back at this point. Like I feel like the longer this gets drawn out, the worse the return is going to be. That being said, yeah, if they get CJ, sure, I probably would put them in the faux contender category. But given just where everybody is right now, I I just put no teams there. I like the move of not having any fake contender because I think once you move past the Bucks and the Nets, everyone still kind of falls into the same category in the middle of these. So I do actually like that, but I have the Heat and then the Sixers. I think the Heat have a nice ceiling compared to a lot of the other teams in the Eastern Conference, which is why I had them ahead of the Sixers. Putting the Heat essentially in third is what I was doing there. Placing them there is betting on a couple things. One, it's betting that they can find any sort of offensive rhythm because I don't really know how their offense is going to flow right now. It's They have a lot of talent. I'm not really sure how it all fits together. And also a lot of it depends on whether Victor Oladipo is actually healthy and is somewhat of the player he once was because look at their roster right now. So say you have a lineup of Bam, P.J. Tucker, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and Victor Oladipo with Victor Oladipo healthy. That's a pretty good lineup. So if they can find some form of a health, but to just flow offensively, I think that's a really good team. That's kind of what I was betting on by putting them in third. And then having the Sixers up there too was me banking on the fact that they clear up this Ben Simmons situation by just finding a better fit. They won 49 games last year with a good player, but a horrific fit next to Joel Embiid. Like he really doesn't make any sense next to Joel Embiid. And the fact that they're still able to win 49 games means like they do have other good players on that team. And so if they can find the right fit, whether it's CJ McCollum or someone else, a group of other players they get in return, I don't know what it's going to be. I like their roster compared to the rest of the Eastern Conference, which is why I put them up there. I don't think either of these teams is a legitimate title threat, which would lend more toward Nicole's theory of having no faux contenders here. But I like Heat 
and Sixers as my 3-4. I think that's all reasonable. So let's get into the playoff teams. Nicole, why don't you give your uh, playoff team since you have, you probably have the most of them since you didn't have any in the uh, faux contenders. I had Miami and then the Sixers and then sort of all tied. But if I had to rank them, I would put them in this order. But I really think they're all pretty much the same. Atlanta, Boston, New York, and then Chicago, not too far after. Look at the Celtics climbing Nicole's rankings. The debate was pre-Schroeder, which makes an impact on the Celtics. However... Schroeder. You know he helps their depth. Dennis Schroeder isn't a nobody. Like, if we were saying beforehand that these teams were equal, I I am dying on this hill. I've been <laughs> abandoned by Nicole. I'm dying on this hill. So the fact that we were saying they were, like, even during that debate, I will admit, I will admit that I do think Schroeder makes the Celtics a better team than the Wizards. I do think both of those teams remain average to below average-ish in the Eastern Conference. Let's hear yours, Grenham. I have the Hawks, the Knicks, the Hornets, and then I had Wizards Celtics. But I think those can be flip-flopped either way because I do really think they're both even. Realistically, I probably would have the Celtics over the Wizards for now. But And then I have the Bulls and the Pacers as like the plan bubble grouping i'm unsure about like the knicks you i know are going to be up there within the playoff teams just because they're going to play harder than everyone else like every game that's just like a tibbs team tibbs teams are generally successful in the regular season and i i could see them being closer to that like five-ish team than i could see charlotte washington or boston I'm betting a lot on Charlotte because I think they can score a lot of points. I think they're fun. And also today on my Snapchat, it gave me, you know, how it gives you like a memory if something was like three years ago today or something like that. Well, when I woke up this morning, I had a notification from Snapchat. And three years ago today, there was a Celtics like community event at a, a child's house in Groton, Massachusetts, where they built the child a court in his backyard, like a Celtics themed basketball court. And when I got there, Scott Susan and I were walking up the driveway in this like rural neighborhood and Terry Rozier is like blacked out Jeep with netting on the doors and his GMB logo on the side was parked in the driveway. And I had a Snapchat of that car that I clearly sent my friends or put on my Snapchat story or something three years ago. So that's what I woke up to today, which means I have to bet on the upside of the Charlotte Hornets. So that's why I have them right in the thick of it there. Fair enough. <laughs> I have four teams, and uh, I have them in a different order than you guys. I have the Celtics next. I think the Celtics... That's a wild take in my mind. Here's here's my rationale. So the four teams that I have in there right now are the Celtics, the Hawks, the Bulls, and the Knicks. I think there is some potential. Like, the Hawks, I think, overachieved a little bit last year, and I think they have... They're hard to rank. If Trey Young takes, like, another step literally next year and all of their role players take another step, they could lift themselves into, like, the faux contender tier for me when you look at who else I have in the faux contender tier. Increasingly, I'm liking Nicole's way of doing this of just being like no none of these teams are going to beat what are you talking about of course they're not going to beat the Nets or the Bucks I kind of like that but based on my tiers I could see the Hawks taking a step and being better than those two teams I'm not 100% sold yet we'll see and with the Bulls, I like their offense a lot. I have a lot of concerns about how they're going to look defensively. I think that's obvious when you look at who their who their players are going to be. They're going to score a ton of points, and I don't think they're going to defend much. I think the Celtics have the potential to be at least okay offensively and pretty good defensively, like a good defensive team. So I have them above them. And the Knicks, I just was never really a believer in them last year. I kind of remain not a believer in them. Like, I'm just not sold that we're going to see. Like, Julius Randle had an otherworldly season. Is that just who Julius Randle is? Like, is he just an all-NBA 
second team guy forever now? I don't know that I see it. How big of a step is RJ Barrett going to take? What does this team look like? Grenham, I like your point about them being better because they're a Tibbs team in the in, in the regular season. Like that's a hundred percent true, but. I, I've just have, have never been a huge Knicks guy, and I'm going to kind of stay on that hill. So, you know, with those three teams, I just I think the Celtics defensively, if they get back to who they can be defensively, I think they can be pretty good. Not full contender, certainly not true contender tier, but like a pretty good team that could vault themselves above the other mid-tier playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. I think that's fair. The part that worries me about the Celtics compared to a team like the Hawks or the Knicks, offensively, the Celtics depth really worries me. Because if you run into an injury with Jalen Brown or run into an injury with Jason Tatum, you're lacking some serious, serious offensive firepower. And that's why the Dennis Schroeder thing really helps them quite a bit, because I think he's their third best offensive option. Like they like a word, sir. That's a problem. I'm the biggest Peyton Pritchard supporter out there. And that's a, it's a problem how much they're going to be relying on him for various stints offensively. So, and granted, if he builds off of what he did summer league, it's not going to be to that level, but like he's shown them that he has the ability to be a good offensive player in the NBA. He did last season, but the Celtics depth on the offensive end really does concern me, which is why I have them closer to that number seven seed. I think they're going to be a really good defensive team. I just am very unsure of what they're going to look like offensively and that's why I have them closer to seven I think that's why though I put the Hawks the Knicks and the Celtics all together really like if I had to rank them I put the Hawks then the Celtics then the Knicks but I really think it's a toss-up for the three of them and it's a matter of health and like a couple of other unknowns here like for the Hawks it's okay is like Trey Young legit they're hopefully going to get Bogdan Bogdanovich back, who obviously helps in terms of their offense. Like for the Celtics, like they need full health. Otherwise, like things get really scary. And then for the Knicks, it's like, okay, is Julius Randle like an actual all NBA player? Will RJ Barrett take a step? What can Kemba Walker offer? There are questions with each of them. And depending on how those pan out, I think it could end up differently. But like talent wise, yeah, the Celtics have the best player in Jason and Tatum and Jalen Brown isn't far behind but then the like if we were to rank all the players on the, the Celtics Hawks and Knicks I'd be curious to see like what the breakdown would be because talent wise I think it's hard to find like a pure front runner between the three like as collective teams obviously Jason Tatum is the best player but like as a collective I'm not sure which team I would rank as like the best well, I think we're underrating a little bit some of the Celtics' talent. Like, and certainly health makes a big difference, you know, especially with their bigs. If Al Horford is healthy all season, I mean, like, if he plays, like, you know, 65 games, all of a sudden it's like, eh, maybe the Celtics' offense is a little better than we thought. Or, you know, if Rob Williams is, is healthy for, you know, 60-some-odd games, or if both of them, you know, are healthy for, like, an extended period, like, yeah, maybe the Celtics' offense is, is a little bit less questionable, and they – and they are a little bit more, you know, reliable. I do think the health thing feels like everybody's kind of spooked by the last two seasons, which I understand because the last two seasons were tough. But the health thing is true of everybody, right? Like if Trey Young goes like is injured for like, you know, a month or something like that, then the Hawks that entire month are just done. They're not winning games that month without Trey Young. I mean, I think the same thing is true of Tatum, right? Like I don't know where the where the injury is short of Jalen or Jason that really dooms the Celtics. And I think that's true of everybody in this tier. Is I think that- you pointed I think you pointed it out accurately that they need health at the center position. They need Al Horford yeah. and Robert Williams and there's reason to be skeptical of their health so if they aren't able to play the number of games and at the level that maybe their ceiling is then yeah that definitely hinders them because then you're looking at a lot of Ennis Cantor minutes and (laughs) that certainly does not help the defense 
I keep forgetting Ennis Cantor's on this team. (laughs) However, I will say that that's why they have two of them, right? It's like you kind of have that a little bit of additional depth. I I think that's one of the things that Brad actually did a pretty good job of is like there is some depth to this team that you wouldn't think of, like especially where where they were at the start of the the offseason, where they ended up. He built a little bit more depth than you would have necessarily kind of expected, I think. I still think I like the like all around roster in terms of depth and stuff slightly better when it comes to a team like the Knicks maybe like I don't know that's why I just keep falling back on the Celtics being in that seven maybe six range because again I don't think any of these teams are like wildly good or wildly bad I just think they're all like pretty middle of the road and in a playoff series riding Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown I think they could beat the Knicks but I just think come the end of the regular season the Knicks are going to have a higher seed the Knicks scare me a little bit because it's like, you think you're getting full year of Kemba? You know, you, you go down the line. It's like, how does Evan Fournier fit with RJ Barrett? Like, we'll see. I, I certainly understand if New York is, is like, I understand the vision. The larger point here is that a lot of these teams are are, are grouped together and they, and they make some sense together. And I mean, if, if you told me right now, like the Celtics ended up being the seventh seed and, you know, the Hawks and the Bulls or the Hawks and the Knicks or whoever it was were ahead of them, I'd be like, that makes sense to me. But, you know, I think there's teams Grenham has in that tier that don't make sense to me. But let's get into uh, let's get into some of the bubble teams. Grenham, why don't you why don't you start with your bubble teams? I have two bubble teams. I have the Bulls and I have the Pacers. The Bulls fit with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine worries me. Like two heavy, heavy isolation guys. I don't know how that's going to work. So that's kind of my hesitation there. I need to see it. I got to see it. I mean, Lonzo Ball played well last year. So if he can find a nice role there, that would be fine. I just don't know how the top of that roster really operates as an offense. The Pacers kind of stayed as is while the rest of the Eastern Conference seemed to get better. Sure, you bring in Rick Carlisle. He's a better coach. Outside of that, I think they stayed kind of steady. I think Chris Duarte is going to be a good player for them. They didn't really do much else. And I think the Eastern Conference, like we said before, did get a little bit better, especially in the middle of the pack. That, like, no, I think that all makes sense. Nicole, who do you have there? I had Washington, Charlotte, and Indiana in that order. So I had the Hornets here. The Hornets are one of the teams that I thought could vault up significantly. And then I also had the Raptors in this tier because I don't know what to do with the Raptors. I have them in there. I think they've got some talent still. I think they have, you know, the ability to, to pull some things together. I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, get themselves back into the picture somehow. And they've got winners on that team. Like, you know, not to be like too cliche. They do. They, they've got guys who have won NBA basketball games. And I think that matters too. They lost like the two most important pieces of those like winners in Kawhi and Kyle Lowry. So it doesn't take away from like Fred Van Vliet or Siakam and things like that. But like, the crux of that championship run is gone. That is true. I I, I think very highly of Fred Van Vliet. I think he's a really so good do I, but I think Van Vliet could be a little bit better than expected as a number one option. I, I, I really, I like him a lot. I think he's a good basketball player. Siakam, I mean, has had some disastrous moments, obviously, yeah. but I, I'm, I mean, like, I think if you told me that a Van Vliet Siakam team was in the bubble, like, you know, if they were like in that, that tier, I'd be like, fair. I would be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt over, say, the Cavaliers or the Magic or the teams that I have down in my uh, in my bad teams. I also think Scotty Barnes is going to be better sooner than people think. 
Like I, I think he is going to be a pretty solid impact player. I was not in favor of passing on Jalen Suggs, but I do think Scotty Barnes is a very good player. Going back to Charlotte real quick, the reason I had them slightly above, that was another team where I was kind of like betting on that upside here because there's such a major if Gordon Hayward seems to get hurt with a significant injury every year at this point in his career, which is really unfortunate because he's a really good player. He seemed at least last year in their roster to really bring their offense together. Like if you watched any Hornets games, they were significantly better when he was on the court. Well, to use our favorite term, he was the only adult. He was the only adult, but they had a lot of fun children running around out there and they still do. So they still need that adult to remain healthy. So say he does, right? And you can now, without Zeller and Biombo, you could run, in my mind, you could run P.J. Washington at the five, which really opens things up for LaMelo at point guard. Like there is a vision there where they could have a really, really fun offensive team. And granted, running him as that small ball five, you can run into some difficulties off or defensively. So that's an issue as well. But I just think there's some fun fluidity with their lineups there and some versatility. They brought in Kelly Oubre and James Booknight. That alone is a way to win me over. So I love both of those guys. So I just think there's a lot of fun upside to bet on with the Hornets. Interesting stat. The Hornets were 0.1 points per 100 possessions worse with Gordon Hayward on the on the floor. He did not actually, but I, but I agree with you. Interesting. On his like, that's just like the numbers. I think if you look at how they played, yes, I think Hayward really was a... I know there was a stat at the end of the season where when they were going in the bubble or going in the plan, I think they were like 10 to 12 games under 500 without him and a couple games above 500 with him, something like that. So that tracks a little bit more. Yeah. So I'll I'll do my bad teams. You guys ready for me to make Greta mad? I have the Wizards, the Cavaliers, the Magic, and the Pistons. No, you, you're it mic- makes leave it, leave that in, leave that in. When you said the Wizards, your mic got fucked up. It's only right. Don't touch it. I think the Wizards are one of the <laughs> bad teams in the East. <laughs> Why? I, I feel like we've been over this, but I don't. Think, <laughs> I don't think Spencer Dinwiddie is that good. And I think after Bradley Beal, the rest of their roster is just a bunch of meh. You know, there's like some stuff that would help the Celtics, for instance. But I don't know that like, I mean, I don't know. Like looking at the rest of the teams, like does Daniel Gafford move the needle that much for me? He's, he's good. Does Thomas Bryant, he's fine. Like is if he's healthy. <laughs> My needle is being moved as you're saying their names. <laughs> you know, like I think, I think Rui's fine. I just look, I look at the rest of the teams. It's like, okay, I think the Raptors have, like I think Van Vliet and Siakam. I mean, their Beal is better than both of them, but like whichever one of those guys is second best. He's significantly better than anybody on the Wizards. You know, the Pacers, I just think, are a more complete team. The Hornets have way more firepower. Nah. And after that, we're getting into, like, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Hawks, the Celtics. I just, I don't see it, man. I've come around on the Celtics being better than the Wizards. I think the Wizards are better than the Pacers and the Raptors. Okay. We'll see. Again, I, I, I'm with Nicole. I can understand it with the Celtics. The, the Pacers, I'm definitely not seeing it. The Raptors... I get the top of the roster argument, but uh, I'm not really banking on Precious Achua all that much down there. I, I don't know. The best player on the, on the Pacers is Sabonis, right? Like, and I think Beal is obviously the best player on, on the Wizards, and I think Beal is better than Sabonis. But then it's like Brogdon, pretty good. Karis LeVert, pretty good. I just don't see it, man. I, I don't see roster-wise. Like, I think there's so many better players on the Pacers than there are on the Wizards. I think the Wizards have some better roster depth than the Pacers do. I'm not saying it's great roster depth, but it's better than the Pacers, I think. Who on the Wizards is better? Like, where is what is the better roster depth? Like, I like Thomas Bryan. I like Rui. I like Montrez Harrell. I like Aaron Holiday. Like, I like those guys. I think they're good players. I think they're useful players. They're not players to just, like, toss aside and be like, ah, oh, those guys are nothing. They're solid players. Who is even coming off the bench for the Pacers? 
I guess so. I guess my thing is like I like the Pacers starting five. I guess that's fair. I like, I like the Pacers starting five better than I like the Wizards starting five, and I think I like the Wizards depth a little bit better than I like the Pacers depth. If that makes sense. So I guess yeah, I can see. I guess sure. If you like, if you wanted to take it either way with those two teams, but the fact that again we're arguing about Wizards Pacers. I mean, I think. I think the Pacers are a little bit better than the Wizards, and the Pacers are the bottom of my bubble teams. Are you just rooting for the Pacers because they have UMass legend Dijon Giroux now with them on a two-way? <laughs> no, if I was a UMass fan, I do not think I would be cheering for Dijon Giroux. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably not. Oh, just out of curiosity, what order did you guys have Cavaliers, Magic, and Pistons in? I didn't even put them in an order. So yeah, did I, to be honest? I probably would do uh, Cavaliers, Pistons, Magic. Interesting. I would flip-flop the Magic and the Pistons, personally. I'm with you on the Cavs being a little bit better than those other two. All right, before we go, we did want to have a quick draft here. So, Grenham, can you talk about our friends over at Shades On? So, the Geno Time draft is always brought to you by our friends at Shades On Beer Company. They're the makers of the Geno Time Stout. They're the makers of a ton of delicious products you can keep an eye out for. If you're a Celtics fan in the Boston area, keep an eye out for Shades On Beer Company products at your local liquor store. And if you're a Celtics fan in Rhode Island, Go check out their beer garden and tasting room, which is in West Kingston, Rhode Island. But really, if you're a Celtics fan in New England, just keep an eye out for Shades on Beer Company products led by the Geno Times Stout. So for our draft today, we are going to just each pick a team that we think could be the biggest riser. So a team that we have in the bad tier that could get up to the playoffs or a bubble that could get up to faux contender or a playoff team that could get up to contender. Grano, why don't you get us going? What, who do you think could be the biggest riser? I'm going to go back to what I was talking about earlier in the episode. I think the Hornets could be the biggest riser from that bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff picture up into the legitimate playoff teams. Because if they can stay healthy, namely Gordon Hayward, those additions of like Mason Plumley, Kelly Oubre, I think really do help things. And I don't think the losses of Devontae Graham and Malik Monk are sort of as big as people were making it seem. I think they were nice offensive spark plugs, but they didn't really bring a whole lot of versatility to that team. And I think Plumley and Oubre kind of do. And I think that actually helps them quite a bit. So if they can run that smaller lineup with PJ Washington effectively, I think there's a lot of fun ways to really open up LaMelo Ball's game. And as we saw last year, He's got some ridiculous upside, and the combination of him and Terry Rozier is a lot of fun. And Kai Jones is on the team, too, so we can see a lot of fun lobs. But bottom line, I think they actually have a ton of upside. And if they don't stay healthy, someone like Gordon Hayward goes down, I think their offense could fall apart kind of quickly. So it could go in both directions. But I think they have a lot of potential to to shoot up the board. Nicole? I'm between moving the heat from a playoff team into that faux contender or just moving Chicago up my playoff team rankings because right now they're the eighth seed. I like both options just from a pure talent standpoint. Like if you look at the Heat's roster, you have obviously Jimmy and Bam, but then you Kyle Lowry, PJ Tucker, Duncan Robinson, maybe Tyler Hero bounces back this season. So they could have a lot of talent and like balanced talent, like both sides of the ball. So I really like the possibilities there. I just don't think they will be a legitimate contender given the strength of the Nets and the Bucks. Yeah, I think that's a good call with them. For me, I'm going to go with the Hawks. Right now I have them like, you know, a little bit below the Celtics. I could see them rising above the Celtics, the Heat, and the Sixers if things go right for them. And like a lot of things would have to go right. But when you go down that roster, there's like, you know, like Nicole was kind of outlining when she was talking, 
Bogdanovich could be a real, you know, difference maker. Clint Capella is a very good center. John Collins is back. Like Kevin Herter could take another step forward. I think one guy we didn't talk about who could make a difference is Jalen Johnson. He looks pretty good in summer league. And, you know, from a skill set perspective, he's big. He's He's got a lot of things that an NBA player that, that it's really valuable at the NBA level. And, you know, maybe he can contribute right away. Who knows about Cam Reddish? Who knows about Onyeka Okungu? I mean, I like a lot of the guys on this roster. Didn't even say Trey Young, obviously. And if Trey Young levels up another level, like maybe maybe there's something really, you know, kind of cooking there. I don't think it's guaranteed at all that the Celtics are better than them. I think the Hawks could be better than the Sixers and the Heat. I, I, I think there's potential for that. So I like them as a dark horse just because with a dark horse, one of the reasons you don't see them coming a lot of the times is because you weren't ready for their youth to be as good as they were. Mm-hmm. That's why the 2018 Celtics was such a surprise. And I think the Hawks could be the same way. If some of their youth really starts coming together, I think they could be a really solid team. DeAndre Hunter is like the guy that really comes to mind for me because he played after, I think he hurt his meniscus. He played into the playoffs and was really good against Julius Randle. So like the Hawks struggled occasionally defensively against some teams and he changes things as a two-way player if he is fully healthy. So I think DeAndre Hunter is like a real game changer for them on both ends. So last thing before we go here, let's real quick, let's talk about where we think the Celtics, like what what, are, what do we think are like the top upside, the top downside? Like let's let's talk about some extremes. What, what do you think the best finish the Celtics could have this season is? They're going to finish definitely behind the Bucks and the Nets. And then I think two of Philly, Miami, Atlanta will be above them. Maybe New York, maybe Chicago, whoever it is. I just think two other teams in the East will be above them and they will finish as the fifth seed. I honestly, actually, I've convinced myself. I think that's the most likely scenario. I think they will finish in that range. And maybe the best is four. Regardless, the four or five matchup is the best outcome. I think four is is the ceiling for them. I think there's a chance that whatever the Sixers have laid out post Simmons deal and the talent that the Heat have, I think there's a chance that one of those maybe flops and it doesn't turn out nearly as well as they hoped and whatever the Celtics defensive ceiling kind of hits really well and they move into that four slot. I think my guess is they're going to end up at the sixth seed. And I do think there's a case where we've said it a million times, if injury problems do pop up, but if they really do struggle offensively, there's a case where they fall into that seven, eight range. If that does happen, I think it all has to do with the offensive end of the court. To that point, though, I think the the top end, right? Like if you just said like the absolute best case scenario, I think it's three, not because I think they're going to get there, but because you guys just said, like, I think two of these teams will be above them. And I do too. Like, to be clear, I think, I think five is roughly where I would put them. But if we can't pinpoint exactly like which team it is that we're for sure is better than them, I think it's not likely, but I think it's reasonable to say that their top case scenario is number three. If, you know, another team has some injuries or if like, you know, maybe the Sixers, maybe the Heat are just not quite as good as we thought and the Sixers fall off and the Hawks, whatever. I don't find it likely, but I think that three is plausible. Now, to that end, though, I also think that when we're talking about the teams being bunched up, I think the low end for the Celtics is pretty low. Like, I don't think it's completely out of the question. Again, not likely, but I don't think nine is completely out of the question. Maybe the Celtics really struggle to score. We've seen it happen before that teams who should be good defensively, when they struggle on the offensive end, it is hard to kind of get that, like, get up and go on the defensive end. And even individual defensive, good defensive players might not make a difference in that case. 
you know, if that happens, I think the Hawks could be better. I think the Bulls could be better. I think the Knicks could be better. I kind of think the Hornets could be better. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm with Nicole that I think they're going to be right at that five seed, maybe four. I think their best case scenario was three if some other things happen. But like, in the worst case scenario, I, I don't think it's out of the question that this team really underwhelms. And if that happens, you know, then I think you have to start having some uncomfortable uh, conversations during the offseason that, you know, Brad Stevens managed to push to next offseason by kind of keeping the window open this year. I'm curious to see what the Celtics think of themselves and like how they will carry themselves and present themselves. I think that's so well said. I think that's that's going to make a big difference in what this team is this year is like, who do the Celtics think they are? Yeah, because they've got all this talent. And like we've seen it in previous years where this Celtics team, when they decide, oh, we're contenders now. Yeah, they can be really good if they don't think they are. If, if you know, if they if they struggle at the outset and they kind of let some of those doubts creep in. We've also seen when they don't think they are contenders and like the difference is pretty palpable. So I think that's a yeah, I think that's a really good point and probably a decent way to evaluate predictions for the season. I think they might be looser coming into the season too than they were last season. Like the higher expectations, the irrationally high expectations going into last season felt like it kind of impacted them from the jump. Those expectations just are not there this year. So maybe that could help them too. Before we go, today would have been Terrence Clark's 20th birthday. Rest in peace to Terrence. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you know where to find us. And we will talk to you all again later this week.